welcome to Satiate, the Food and Freedom Forum. I'm Sue Van Rays, and I'm a nutritional therapist and food psychology specialist here in Boulder, Colorado. I founded Boulder Nutrition back in 2003, where I host my private practice specializing in women's health. I'm also an author, speaker, and yoga instructor. In this new podcast, Satiate, we're going to cover a variety of topics relating to our relationship to food, body, and personal fulfillment. How we can best nourish our bodies and our minds and our souls while living a life embodying the best version of ourselves. You can look forward to many special guests, health and happiness experts from around the country, exciting teachings, and even some special on the road episodes from our Boulder Nutrition Retreats and Road Trip this fall. Welcome to episode three. All right, well today on the podcast, we have a special guest that I love to co-teach with and her name is Lauren Lewis and she's the founder of the Pure Gourmet here in Boulder, Colorado. We've actually taught and led retreats together for many years and the mission that Lauren brings is simple. It's to bring delicious and healthful foods to the lives of many people. She strives to discover a sense of well-being and help her clients discover a sense of well-being and wholeness by eating sustainable, locally grown, and organic food prepared with love. And specifically, her passion is to assist her clients in participating in the transformation of their lives through conscious food choices. She believes that profound improvements in our vitality can be achieved by connecting with our food sources and by letting our bodies and hearts dictate what's good for us. A prepared meal is one of the greatest acts of love and that each bite tastes better knowing that it supports our bodies, our spirits, and our communities. Lauren and I will be co-leading a experiential cooking nutritional wisdom and yoga retreat this fall called Eat, Breathe, Nourish in Costa Rica, November 8th through 15th. So thanks for being here today and sharing this time with me. Thank you so much for having me. I always love talking about food with you. (laughs) We do talk a lot about food when we're together. And um, one of the things that I find to be so interesting and unique to what you specialize in around the food you cook has to do with not only the healing power of food because of its health and vitality or that it's you know just a healthy food in general but more around the energetics of food and eating and how to start to navigate what our bodies truly need in that way so i thought that would be a really interesting conversation to have today because it is a very different and unique spin on you know how we navigate our world of eating Totally. And food prep. Totally. Food energetics is like the most fascinating topic to me. And I 
stumbled upon it when I was studying macrobiotics years ago, like 15 years ago. I read a book called Food Energetics by a guy uh, named Steve Gagne in Boulder, and it opened up this whole new realm of conversation and thought around food and nutrition, and it felt so much more intuitive than like micro macronutrients and studying the exact ingredients of what a food has in it. Um, but it felt like something much more powerful. And food energetics is pretty complex, but to sum it up, it's looking at the quality of the food you're eating from a pretty holistic perspective, starting with how it was grown. So at the seed level, the quality of soil, the rain, the sun, the farmer, the location in the world, and then all the way through who harvested it, who prepared it, and then most importantly, the state of mind you're in when you're eating it. Um, to me, that's probably the most important part. So what this showed me, and by studying it really intimately in my own life and with many, many clients, is that food has spirit and it has the ability to open us up to the world, to our community, to tradition, um, or to close us off. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that feels like huge because the quality, the energy of the food that we're taking in, the energetics of it is in my eyes of utmost importance to be like really alive and connected with what we're doing in the world. Yeah. So food is really about living the life you want to live. If we get so fixated on exactly what we're eating all of the time, we lose sight of the bigger goal, which is like living these full, rich lives. But I think that when you start to look at food from an energetic perspective, it gives you freedom to choose the food that works for you without like really strong restrictions, but really just more in line with what, what's working. It's more intuitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I remember being in a couple of classes that you were teaching over the years where you were specifically talking about, you know, foods that grow up and foods that grow down and the different types of seasonal foods and how we can start to kind of use that as a platform in a way to start to investigate what we need. Totally. And I guess, you know, maybe like some kind of if we could just sort of bring that into a physical manifestation, like what would be a good example of that? Yeah, so I guess in the, this is fun for me, it's like my favorite topic, but there's a dualistic approach to really the world. There's like this yin and yang in everything. And it's all rel relative to something else. So something isn't just yin by itself in a vacuum, it's yin in relationship to something that's more yang. And like the sun, the solar energy is very young compared to the moon energy or like water is yin and um, food is that way too. So in case you're new to the yin and yang concept, yin and yang is a complex relational concept that comes from Chinese culture and has developed over thousands of years. Generally speaking, yin is characterized as the feminine, still, dark, and inward energy. On the other hand, yang is characterized as the masculine, energetic, a hot, bright, outward energy. All of these can be applied to an experience 
an object, a food, a concept, a personality trait, and other things. Food is that way too. And so if we are young in our personal life, in the world type A, like strong, we tend to crave young. It's just what we do. It's like the law of nature that you kind of crave what you already are. And mm. one of my teachers said, you're like, if you're moving in a direction or if you're going in a car 60 miles per hour in one way to turn around and go the other way, take some effort. And it's like that with our diet. So if you're constantly craving really like strong, young, salty, certain foods, like really lots, lots of animal food is young. <clears throat> lots of like high salt and strong flavors it probably aligns with the life you're living but typically people that are more young tend to need just a little more yin and it exactly. ba food balances us and so just like it's really interesting to watch cravings and I always say like you can trust your body with cravings as long as you're introducing the right foods like if you're craving a Snickers bar <laughs> you're probably not that's probably not true. Like right. your body doesn't need a Snickers bar, but it, maybe it needs sweet and there's ways to get sweet, like sweet squash or, so it's like training our body to know foods that give us the same satisfaction that those other foods that we previously might've eaten gave us. So there's an adjustment period, but paying attention to yin and yang and and also like it's, it's complex, but how, things grow in relationship to the sun determines their quality. So if something grows downward, like burdock root is one of the longest root vegetables there is, it has a yang downward energy where like kale that's growing upwards towards the sun has this more yin open energy and to include all those foods in our diet. So if you're eating all leaves, like in Colorado, if you're eating a raw foods diet of like spinach and kale and lettuce all of the time, you're not getting that downward rooted energy that necessitates fire to be prepared really. You know, so that's like this whole other element. Fire is a nutrient. In my view, depending on where you live, how much fire you need is something to consider. So if you're in the winter in Colorado when it's cold and dry, oil and fire help us be nourished. But in the summer or in Hawaii where there's all this water and and sun you might be able to totally do a raw foods diet so just starting to consider like the environment you're in the state of mind you're in and then what foods might be supportive and there's one other aspect to that and that's cooking methods so that's mm. really like my favorite area to manipulate energetics of food and like if I know someone that's really in Ayurveda, it's Ayurveda, it's Vata, but like airy or spacey, they probably need something more grounding. And so I might pressure cook their grain rather than boil it or steam it. So it's more fire, more condensed energy, and that food transfers to them and helps them ground. So you can really pay attention to the specific person that you're cooking for, including yourself, which is probably the most healing thing you can do and and impact their health like in a in one meal in mm -hmm. one meal it's like one meal can have a huge impact like these different currents let's call them that are moving through us like when we're expressing different parts of ourselves in this yin or yang way 
Would you say that that also changes with the season? Totally. Yeah. From day to day, hour to hour, and season to season, there's definitely a curve that happens. And so just really paying attention, like self-study, you know, this is part of the process of really understanding yourself and how sensitive we are. We are so, so sensitive and we can withstand a lot, but we can also be impacted so powerfully by small changes in our diet. And um, I definitely think like more raw foods in the summer, more cooked foods in the winter, um, starting to look at the seasons is definitely huge. And what's growing, you know, like we have these beautiful plants that grow in the summer that are definitely made to eat raw and then in the winter a lot of the foods that grow underground or get stored need fire Mm -hmm. it's interesting because this weekend with just this hint of fall in the air in Colorado I was instantly roasting totally you know and all summer it's been like you know either cooking things fast and high heat on the barbecue Mm -hmm. or making a lot of raw food salads and, you know, eating out of the garden and all of that, which is so, you know, just blissful. Yes. And then I all of a sudden spent like all day Sunday in the kitchen. Yeah. Inside. I totally did that too. Yeah. And it's like I was roasting nuts and like Mm -hmm. roasting vegetables and it just, but it, it happens almost without realizing. Totally. You know, what I'm doing. And it's so interesting to watch. Yeah. I, it does happen naturally. If you pay attention, you know what to do. But one thing that I think is important um, to discuss or mention is that some people that are listening might think, like, who has time for this? <laughs> you yeah. know, a lot of people say that to me. <laughs> That's like, a good one. I don't have time. And um, I definitely think that if we don't make time, it won't happen modern society is like faster paced than it's ever been and most people don't prioritize home cooking as an important part of their daily work and what my wish is is that it could become simple food easy enough to do in more people's lives i have a three-year-old and i feel like the probably the most important thing I want him to learn is like simple food preparation because I think that if we're relying on restaurants and takeout as the majority of our food um, source it's not going to give us what we need mm-hmm. home cooked food is like the baseline for strong health because mm-hmm. we can choose the ingredients that call to us we can pick higher quality oils and salts the food preparation less sugar less salt like all of it adds up to long-term health yeah so simple cooking yeah Yeah. so another another topic or sort of idea that I was wanting to bring up here today is um, we've talked a lot in our life our friendship about the five flavors and not like we need to dive into the depths of that here but more just touch on you know how the flavors impact us as you know individuals and in our food and in our satiation and I know that you really specialize in that in a lot of ways yeah that topic is exciting to me there's um, a more complex way to look at it a perspective from traditional Chinese medicine that 
associates different flavors with different organs in the body as well as different seasons and elements. Um, and it's really interesting to study if you ever want to look into it. But I think what's more useful to most people is understanding, um, well, there's five tastes in traditional Chinese medicine and macrobiotic study. Um, some other cultures and lineages and schools of thought have six. But for me, I discuss sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and pungent. And pungent is the one that people usually say, what's, what's that? And that's like spicy peppers and ginger, garlic, things like that. Okay. And if you have, um, well, we have a tendency towards certain ones in our culture and usually just um, individually. Some people really like salt. Some people really like sweet. You know, people are either like cookies or potato chips, like what would you rather have or something for a, um, a guilty pleasure. And what's important is that we try to include all of those five flavors in our diet. So sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and pungent. If they're all in our meal, so if you have them all in your day, your body's more satiated, but if you get them all in one meal, it's even more powerful. So it triggers the brain to say, I'm done, I'm satisfied. If you're just eating sweets, you're never satisfied. And you know that, like that happens, we do that. <laughs> I do that sometimes. And then um, just salty, you're not satisfied. But if you get sour, sweet, bitter, pungent, and salty, like even if it's a squeeze of lemon over your kind of salty Swiss chard with sweet brown rice and um, like a bitter tahini sauce with ginger in it or something, it's all right there and it seems simple, but if you study like the perfect meal, it typically has all of those things. And so it's fun to play with like, what does this meal have? This bowl of black bean soup, it's got spice, it's pungent, it's got sweet beans, it's got bitter, maybe you put some like bitter onions or, you know, sauteed into it or like a mole type thing. But then like it's missing one thing and that's sour maybe. And so you squeeze lime and then it's like, ah, it's perfect now, you know? Mm -hmm. So it happens naturally in cultural, traditional cuisines. It's like that. Um, sushi is like that, like a, the perfect sushi bite with the ginger and the wasabi and the soy sauce and the sweet rice. And mm -hmm. so whenever you have that like perfect bite, your brain's triggered like, oh, that's perfect, I'm done. <laughs> and so watching how, how many of those flavors you're getting in your mouth, in your bite, in your meal, in your day helps you have a little more sense of satisfaction and it makes the, your food really good. Overall, I would say paying attention is like the most important thing. Like if you're paying attention when you're in the kitchen, not Facebooking, which I've definitely done and like burned things and like, <laughs> you know, um, just like talking on the phone. But if you're pouring your attention into your food, considering what flavors are in it, considering the cooking method for the season, there's no way it's not gonna taste amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just it. We put our attention into it and when we get something out of it, it's powerful. So back a couple of years ago, we taught a really fun class together called the Yoga of Cooking. And I remember a lot of what we were working with in the cooking portion of that class was around being more intuitive and even what you often call recipe-less cooking. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it's very common to hold on to the 
recipe and try to create this perfect dish and um, especially when we're learning but it's interesting how you spin that in your classes and I think it's so um, intuitive and supportive like what can you tell us more about that I love that concept totally yeah I I um, love helping people learn how to cook without recipes and it's not uh, immediate thing and we talked about how you know you can go from being kind of bound it feels like by a recipe to free to modify within that recipe so that's like kind of the first stage I would say is is noticing ingredient categories so if you have in a soup a root vegetable for example like a parsnip but you only have a turnip on hand, like substitute that. So when you stay within the family, like a carrot or a, um, something like that, or if you only have miso instead of tamari for a salt, you can use that. So noticing and replacing, or if you only have a lime instead of a lemon, you know, you can start to make modifications there. But when you move completely away from recipes and just start to trust yourself, it's a really powerful and empowering experience. And I think it just takes trust and attention and time and willingness to like have it not be the perfect dish the first time. Um, there's definitely some methodology that I methodology that I like to teach to help people achieve freedom, which is a longer conversation. But starting to explore, you know, I think is where where you can um, begin. And the reason that I would say working without recipes can be really important is kind of a two-part answer. It's first budget and efficiency. So you go to the farmer's market or you go to the grocery store and you buy some stuff and then all of a sudden you have like a cauliflower and some lentils and a can of coconut milk and like three sprigs of thyme and you're like, okay, I need to make dinner for my family now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so to be able to work with what you have on hand means that you don't have to run to the store you don't have to spend extra on like the specific spices that are in a certain recipe or if you have white beans instead of chickpeas and that kind of stuff so it's budget friendly i very rarely waste food because i work with what i have until i have nothing and then i go shopping again you know where my mom like has every single thing at her fingertips at all time because she likes to follow a recipe to a t I hope she doesn't listen. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so, and then the other aspect of it is the creativity that cooking without recipes brings. Like, it's an artistic element to life. You know, you get to be creative in the kitchen and we all need creative outlet. And it's, it's an awesome way to do it because it's so functional. So if you're getting to be creative and play with food and then eat it and feed yourself and your family and the people that you love, it's like a double bonus but creativity pouring your attention into your food is reason one and then yeah budget mm -hmm. total budget and like lack of waste mm -hmm. so would you say in this sort of format that you teach that there's a lot of tasting in the process yeah I mean that's a good question because you do need a taste and smell so like you put food in your mouth and then you smell the next ingredient and ask yourself does this work like I taste the building a marinade you can literally taste some toasted sesame oil and then smell a lime or a lemon and decide which one goes better with that if you're making like a, a sauce or something um, but then 
if you overtaste, your body kind of like shuts down. And so I teach and I was taught by my mentor, taste as seldom as possible to achieve the result that you're looking for. Huh. So maybe taste once along the way and then get it as close as you can and then a final taste in any modifications. But you'll, you know if you're like cooking Thanksgiving or something and you taste all day, you're not even aware of what things taste like at the end. You're like, I hope mm -hmm. this is good. <laughs> mm -hmm. So saving your palate a little bit helps with just, you know really recognizing the nuances of what your food needs in the end. Yeah. yeah. I recently taught my son how to do that one little test where you hold the food in your mouth and then you smell the next food yeah. and he was blown away cool you know just like you can do that that's such an amazing tool yes so just are we um just for people who want to try that is it pretty straightforward you just take the food hold it in your mouth taste it yeah and smell the other food yeah so like literally if i'm making um the, the quickest way I demonstrate is building, like in classes, is building a vinaigrette or a marinade for like a salad. Mm -hmm. Because traditional balsamic is like olive oil and balsamic vinegar. So like a traditional vinaigrette. But if you want to make your own up, you know you need a fat and a vinegar mm -hmm. or an acid. And so you can taste, literally taste the oil a little bit on your tongue if you're using something interesting or different, olive oil or sesame oil, or coconut oil, or something that has a, a flavor, and then smell your vinegars, like champagne vinegar, lemon, a lime, white wine vinegar, apple cider vinegar. And so pick one thing and then smell like three others. Pick an oil, taste it, smell three vinegars. And your body will either say yes, for sure, no way, or maybe. <laughs> and the maybe is usually fine. But you get a hit, interestingly, like right between your eyes. And that's in yogic you know, perspective, the sixth chakra center of intuition. But if you close your eyes, taste, and smell, you'll feel, feel that yes or no in your body. And that's the beginning when I teach people where they're like, oh, wow, like your son Ari is like, yeah, I have more knowledge than I give myself credit for. Mm. And so it's strengthening, it's empowering, it's intuitive, and any way that we can strengthen our intuition is huge, you know? Yeah, and I'm, I'm imagining that each person might have a slightly different orientation around those two flavors coming together. Like someone might love something and someone else might not. It's true, but there are very few times that anyone likes something that's awful. Right. Like I've noticed with so many cooking students that choose so many varieties. You know, we have kitchens full of choices. Very rarely when people are actually paying attention do they pick something that I am disgusted by. <laughs> you know, it's usually something that may be interesting or isn't my total favorite, but usually it would work. Because, I don't know, there's, there's preferences, but then there's just like the straight yes and no, yeah. you know? Maybe some universals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So lastly, one thing that I know is a very important for you and for myself in both of our overlaying of our work and our passions is, you know, how we show up as an eater. 
and being women in the world today, obviously, that comes with a lot of pressure. Yeah. Because, and men as well, but specifically women I, I work with, but also because there's just a lot of body image, a lot of stuff around weight, a lot of, you know, are we eating the right health food? Are we doing the right, you know, diet trend? Totally. You know, so a lot of that pressure can come through when we're sitting down to eat or cooking yeah. as well, or even just grocery shopping. So, I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, when we are creating our food and eating our food and even assimilating our food, Mm -hmm. what are some of the ways that you find to work for how we show up for that? It's really interesting because I just had like a little bit of an aha moment as you asked that question, but I had disordered eating as a kid and definitely used this practice to heal myself. And... I feel like understanding food and its power and its magic and its potency and its ability to have us be healthy and vital and then in the cooking process as well as the eating process is is how I recognize my own value. You know, it was this whole process of like learning to be creative and then when you're cooking food that's interesting and healthy and, you know, heavily plant influenced and Um, whole how can it be anything but great for you but the receiving of it is a whole nother thing so sitting down to a meal and knowing that you deserve that meal knowing that it's going to sustain you help you live the life you want feels like a whole second challenge in the realm of like us as you know women that have been influenced by the society and how we're supposed to look and what we're supposed to deserve and not deserve and all of that, you know, but um, I think that slowing down and and eating just with your meal, like without doing work, doing other things and receiving the nourishment from that food is like a sacred act. And it's so easy to go days without doing that, even though you're eating uh, even today, I what I prepared myself lunch of leftovers that was all these beautiful vegetables I had cooked the day before, and I wanted to do some emails while I was eating, and I was about to. I opened my computer, and I'm like, wait, this might be my only chance today of like quiet moment of eating, and so I closed it resistantly and like totally just enjoyed, and I feel so full and fed and happy and good right now and it took a little bit of discipline Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think it's a practice to learn to sit down and receive food in that way but it's important and I would even argue that um, how the state of mind that you're in when you're ingesting eating is potentially more important or valuable than the food you're eating Mm. So if you're eating all organic, highest quality, top-notch food, and you're eating it without paying attention or thinking that you don't deserve to be eating it, or um, yeah, just super distracted or on the go without acknowledging or in a bad mood, you know, without gratitude, I don't know that your body can fully assimilate what it can offer in a different state. My quick moment of quiet gratitude before you start eating is like the most incredible practice yeah it's like 10 seconds no one even has to know that you're doing it you know 
Yeah, making it like almost like a sacred ritual to sit down, free yourself from distraction. Yeah. Allow yourself to presence and also like drop some of the negative criticisms about whatever it is, our day, our body, our choices, our conflicts, and just be present with our food is such a amazing ritual yeah and it Once doesn't again, have to happen all the time it's like right. when you remember you know we don't have to beat ourselves up about not doing that <laughs> it's, it's like when you remember when you get a chance when it, the moment is right can you slow it down enough to really take it in in that way yeah beautiful so lauren and i will be together with this beautiful circle of women in costa rica this fall um, doing experiential cooking and nutritional wisdom and yoga right on these world-class beaches of Costa Rica. And so if you're interested, you can learn more about our retreats and her by visiting bouldernutrition.com slash retreats. Thank and you so much. Thank you. We're really excited about that. And thank you so much for taking the time today yeah, to share you. your wisdom. It's fun to talk about. I get so excited. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. If you're needing a moment, a pause, a break, a little support, some perspective, and a way to tap into your truest desires, some time to nourish yourself, come home to yourself, feed your body, mind, and soul those specific superfoods, those soulful superfoods that you so need I'm personally inviting you to join me on one of my fall retreats. In September, September 22nd to 24th, I'll be taking a beautiful circle of women to Joyful Journey Hot Springs for the weekend, the equinox, some time to soak in the hot springs, be in nature with the crimson leaves turning in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, feed our bodies hand-picked healing foods and share in the communion of sisterhood as we explore our relationship even more deeply to how to best nourish ourselves you are welcome to join me also on our eat breathe nourish retreat in november to nosara costa rica On this particular week-long immersion, we'll be diving into some experiential cooking, nutritional wisdom, world-class beaches, time to rest and restore. And I'll be collaborating with my co-facilitator and very good friend, Lauren Lewis, who specializes in natural cooking and cooking instruction. This particular retreat, we will literally be hosting internship type experiential cooking with our retreat guests and sharing in the beauty of creating healing food for ourselves. You can find out all the details at bouldernutrition.com retreats. Thanks for listening to episode two of Satiate and I'll see you next time.